welcome back everybody to another episode of the pirate radio this is episode eight as we move along um really enjoying ourselves doing these so we hope everyone out there who happens to be listening is enjoying them as well um so let's let's kind of start where we normally start and joe i'm looking at you let's uh let's hear what you've been up to for the last couple weeks uh, the last couple of weeks, I have honestly been way more focused on outside of tech stuff. Um, we've been doing home remodeling, so flooring and uh, demo has been kind of consuming my time for um, the past couple of weeks. But fortunately, we got everything back together, and and my house is not completely in shambles anymore. It's just covered in construction dust everywhere. Um, but also in the back end, I've been trying to sort out. Um, I got selected to do a couple of presentations, so I think I've got five in-person events in the next uh uh, oh, sorry. forgot about Australia. Seven in-person events. In like the next How can you forget about that one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Deconstruction of a house is a good way to unwind from from uh, yeah. tech. For sure. It's been interesting. So what what about Matt? What what have you got going on in the background, you know, as I'm getting ready to see you in the next few weeks? Yeah, woohoo. I could see Joe. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, just things have actually just been really, really busy lately um, for the first time in about two years i stepped into an office last week you know i had actual teammates from you know my work there it's kind of funny people who i've worked with for the past couple of years now you know we haven't actually met in person but we talk to each other multiple times a week uh, so that, that that was kind of uh, cool but uh yeah you know as joe mentioned things are kind of opening up got some travel in the not so distant future we'll uh, have to see how that goes but uh, kind of going back to things were you know slowly anyways yeah it was definitely interesting having to go out for our qbr last month and meeting my manager after having worked at a company for like more than half a year that was definitely odd my only question for you though is you went in the office but you didn't mention did you have pants (laughs) (laughs) pants were in fact mandatory for this meeting yes even though it was just internal I'm just waiting for the first person that actually has that iteration of like that terrible dream where you show up and you're not wearing pants. Like we are, we are primed for this to actually be a reality. Yeah. Yeah. Pantsless Friday. So Jim, how have you been? Well, aside from the fact that I've been chasing internet, since I got back from Houston. I've been great. Uh, so last week got to spend some time with uh, friends, acquaintances, colleagues, all of the above. Uh, at our corporate kickoff and that was good came back as i just mentioned to a bunch of internet problems which being a tech worker is slightly problematic but you know we're working through it um that's how we go but you know it did lead me to think about you know there's i tell you what guys i don't know about the rest of you but this coming back to travel thing it's a it is definitely something and I think we all kind of decided to talk about it a little bit. Uh, So I guess really what it comes down to, so Brian, let me put this to you to start with. Do what do you think are, are in-person events necessary now? I guess it depends on what you mean by event. Um, I having been a remote worker for over seven years now, full time. I've, I, I definitely get the value of being in person, being able to talk to people, having free form conversations, whatnot. Um, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that our kickoff that we were at last week was a good thing. Um, it was very, very valuable on many different levels, not least of which is, you know, sitting in the bar at one o'clock, get introduced to somebody, 
from a sister company that also got acquired. And we sat there and talked for an hour and I learned all sorts of great stories about what they had been doing up to this point. Um, you don't get that kind of interaction usually when, when we're just all over Zoom. So having those types of in-person events where you can mix and mingle with people that you would never normally have the opportunity to, I don't, I don't want to lose that. Um, and, you know, the question really becomes then, do we go back to the really big events? Um, you know, the, the, the conferences formerly known as VMworld type events. And do we put thousands of people from thousands of different locations all into one place for a week to, to breathe the same air in a conference center that may or may not be filtering it properly? That's, that's the one that I'm a little worried about. Yeah, I, I definitely do share that concern. I also wonder how much now that you know, frankly, some of these companies that are throwing the super big conferences, the VM Worlds, the AWS reInvent, stuff like that, you know, they've had two, three years now of not having to think about the budget of putting on that kind of event. And are we going to start seeing some artificial limitations there as well? Joe, you have some thoughts? Yeah, I mean, some of it too also comes down to like, who is it that we're looking at from their perspective about these events being necessary, right? Is it for the vendors? Is it for them getting their message out or them having marketing dollars that can only be allocated to these big, huge things? Cause they can't, you know, give out X number of thousand gift cards for zoom meetings and stuff like that. Or is it necessary for the attendees? Right. And, and some of this comes back to conversations we've all had before too, that like we go to these events way more for, the community and for the hallway track than we go for the actual sessions. Cause we know we can always get this content later or it's going to be regurgitated for months on end. Or at this point, you know, these things have all gotten to the point where everything is pre-recorded and you can consume that stuff at will. But what you can't get are the connections that you make or reconnecting with people or getting to the people that are behind the scenes, not presenting. Right. So it's some of it is, yeah. Like who is it you're trying to talk about these events being necessary for the vendors or the customers? Yeah, and I mean, I think ultimately it really comes down to it's a mix, right? We've all been to conferences where, you know, you're getting your badge scanned. It seems like you're not even in the exhibition hall and they're coming out chasing you down trying to get your badge scanned. Obviously, that's for the vendors, right? They need to generate the sales leads. So it has to be value there for them at the end of the day. As an attendee, though, in my mind, there's no doubt that you get more from it. You know, you talked about the hallway track there, Joe. Um, I know personally, I absorb more when I am physically there in the room with a presenter. I'm much more focused. I'm not playing on my phone. I'm not reading email. I am there to learn whatever it is we're talking about, and I can focus on it that much more. Um, you know, as part of my job, I'm part of an internal group that every year used to have a conference, you know, 150 folks offsite in Palo Alto. We haven't had that in the two years I've been in the program. And that's some of the feedback I've given back to the program um, is, yeah, you know, I understand why we can't have it, you know, not bitter or anything, but I absolutely feel like I don't have that tight relationship with my peers that I would have if you're there for the conference, right? So when we're talking about conferences, you know, of course, we've got the big ones like the VM world and the VMONs and stuff like that. But, you know, I think it applies really to offsites in general, right? Even just internal conferences like kickoffs. Yeah. And I, I would agree with all that. Um, you know, the, those, those relationship buildings and whatnot. 
Um, the other thing that really goes into it for me is, um, you know, as, as we intermingle in those events, <laughs> I, I mean, to be quite frank about it, a lot of us do a lot of job hunting. We do a lot of relationship building that do lead to new jobs. Um, I think it's, I think it's led to a lot of variability in our networks, in our job opportunities. Um, though given, given the, the great resignation situation going on here, I wonder if, if that piece is necessary, like maybe that's not necessary because people seem to be making those job changes and, and finding new things and whatnot. And we've talked a bit about that in the past. Um, but I think some of, I think the important thing is that we all consider what we want to get out of the conferences is the important thing. And, you know, that's what I was hoping we would do in 2020 and, and improve in 2021 with, with the virtual events, but we thoroughly failed at all of that. And I think the scariest thing going into back into in-person events is the concept of the hybrid event. And I just don't know that that could go very well. It'll be really interesting to see how those, those go. They all suck. I will just say it. And I feel like especially two years in a row, we just compounded and doubled down on nobody has to travel. So therefore we can do events, whatever we want, right? Some of these things can be thrown together on a whim or we're getting to the point that even with things going back to now being hybrid instead of virtual only, vendors don't pay attention to when other things are going on. So there's four events that are like double booked on a single day or things like that. Or, you know, for, for internal vendor teams, now that nobody was having to travel to do internal meetings or customer visits or things like that, you know, instead of it being one hour to two hour meetings that took a day worth of travel, it's, we can have this with nobody ever, you know, putting on pants. And it just made everything worse. Nobody ever had a plan of like, we're going to actually go back to some sort of normalcy after this. And everybody just kept going down the rabbit hole. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. I'm with you, Joe. I have not really enjoyed the hybrid events as much as I've enjoyed the others. I've definitely not enjoyed the virtual events um, as much. I think if you're going to do that, you're probably better served with just pre-recording a bunch of content and then on day X, just dropping it on the world and say, go watch what you want when you want to watch. And here's your free t-shirt. Um, the, I think there are variants on it. Um, so one of the conferences that I'm planning to go to actually next month, Demo and drop their full agenda today. And they did one thing that I really liked is they kept the, the overlapping content for those that are going to be on site to a minimum. So there's lots of good content, but I don't think there's really ever any more than four or five sessions going on at once. Then, um, but then they did something that I'm not a big fan of, which is to take some of the pre-recorded stuff and then run it through a schedule that follows the sun. So you have sessions going with that starting at like six o'clock in the morning and running 24 hours a day for the next three days. I just, you know, aside from that, it's, it's fine. Yeah. I think one of the challenges with hybrid conferences is they're only hybrid in name, right? I, I feel like every conference I've seen that's been quoted as a hybrid conference is really just a matter of, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to have a live session, a keynote or stuff like that, then a bunch of Zoom sessions, right? Nobody's done anything innovative. 
Um, you know, Jim and I were both part of the Veeam Vanguard program, and we've got this internal Vanguard summit that they do every year. This past year, it, it was a hybrid approach. Both Jim and I were remote, and you know, granted, it's a much smaller group, but I feel like that was by far the best hybrid experience I had because they had someone actively monitoring chat. Um, they were fielding questions from us in real time as they were fielding questions from you know, the folks in the room. So yes, we were still remote, you know, a little bit of a delay, but we had common Slack channel to chat with people who were there. We had, we were able to ask questions and get answers. And that that's the first event I've seen that really, I feel kind of did the hybrid thing right. Definitely concur, Matt. Yeah. And the hybrid thing can be done, but what I've witnessed that has worked in that regard have always been fairly small events. Um, so the large events, you know, I, I think the right the right way to do hybrid is for the small events. You can have that personal touch. You have somebody constantly watching it. You know, we had that going on at our at our kickoff last week. And for the larger events, you know, that that's that simulcast type thing, just continuously running stuff and throwing new things in the catalog as people present um, has got to be the, the right. It, probably the best way that you can. Do it. I'm not going to say it's the right way, but it's probably the best way you can do it. Um, so now that we've more or less determined that, yes, there there is a need for in-person events and there's definitely value in it and it's worth planning for it. Let's talk a little bit about some of our experiences getting back in person. Um, so, like, I know one of the things that I was I was really hoping, really, really hoping was going to change with with COVID and everything was that we'd stop shaking hands, like shaking hands creeps me up. But my experience having done three different events in the last two weeks is that that is totally going to be the norm going forward. Still, uh, we are going to continue shaking hands. There's, there's more fist bumping. Um, I would say that the shaking hands and the hugging has not gone down at all. Um, which I know for a lot of us that are kind of more introverted, there's, there's a lot of anxiety around that. A lot of, um, fatigue, if you will. Um, I'm, I'm, starting to relearn the uh, social fatigue aspect of things and how you really um, deal with that. Um, you know, I'm having to relearn some of that. And it, it kind of sucks because I was, I'd gotten pretty good at it to the point where a lot of people think I'm an extrovert, but I'm most definitely not. Um, so yeah, interested, um, Jim, kind of what your experiences were with that, uh, particularly last week. Yeah, I mean, I, so here's what's funny. So, you know, you, you portray it as you're an introvert that can fake it to be an extrovert. I unabashedly think of myself as an extrovert by and large. Um, and I will say coming back to things, that is definitely a skill that we have to relearn a little bit. Um, you know, maybe because I'm becoming an old ass man, but here I am a week after the event and I am still just like, you know, I just don't really want to be around a lot of people and I'm tired and all that good stuff. I did notice the same thing you did on the handshaking. And I also actually noticed that, you know, whether it be cultural, whether it be whatever, I very naturally go to a handshake. Um, I don't naturally go to a fist bump. Um, yep. I shoot bump. Yeah, I had to be conscious about that as well. Yeah, I mean, shoot, I you know, and honestly, you know, depending on who it is, I I go to a hug, um, you know, like you fine gentlemen, um, but uh, uh, but yeah, it's like I said, it's just you know, like I said, even being an extrovert, I'm 
I'm I'm worn out from just like what what was it two days three days, yeah. um, so I'm interested to see if this is something that I relearn how to be okay with, or if this is just truly the new normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what well, one of the interesting things I've heard from a couple of conferences now is you know when you check in you basically get you know a wristband a lanyard whatever with different colors kind of identifying you know how comfortable are you with folks from a proximity standpoint. You know, like if it's, let's say, orange, it's like, hey, you know, I want to keep my distance. If it's green, like, hey, yeah, I'm down for a handshake, right? So I yep. thought stuff like that was actually kind of interesting. And we'll, you know, we'll see if that, A, goes forward, you know, in the future, and B, do people actually adhere to it? I saw something, I saw something very similar to that at a security con I went to last week that, you know, one color was normal attendee and one color was I do not want to be photographed. And so they made it very explicit. It's a security conference, so it kind of yeah. makes sense. But again, similar way of, of easily communicating to people your preferences for um, for for social interactions, I guess. Yeah, yeah I right? mean, if that's enforced, you know, cool. And I was just going to say, Jim, you were talking about like, you know, feeling tired after a couple of days. You know, I think back to the VM world and, you know, after four or five days, like you're just absolutely exhausted. And so much of that was not because you're always, you know, out and about late nights and stuff like that. A lot of us are introverts and we don't realize how taxing it is on us to just always be on, so to speak. 100%. Yeah, that's in, that's some of it is that, you know, the, the folks that are putting on these large conferences or small events need to have some sort of a plan and need to have, you know, either signage or communication ahead of time of like, this is how we're handling things. And everybody basically just has to like sign the social contract of, you know, be aware and try and be conscious. Cause yeah, a lot of us are, are just so used to the handshakes or hugs or high fives or whatever, you know, with every person that comes roaming down the aisle that we don't think about it. And even not to the point of the introverts versus extroverts, but yeah, just the people that are now going to have anxiety that they didn't have in the past are going to have different preferences from the last big conference that they were at, that everybody just needs to be conscious and, and try and look for those things. But yeah, the, the, the people putting on the conferences need to put in more of an effort to make that easier for all of the attendees. So, you know, a, a question for you, fine gents, and I, use that term loosely for some of you. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like going back into these in-person things, the thoughts of being around so many large crowds, like after you know not being around more than, let's say, a couple dozen folks for the past two years, that the thought of walking into a conference and having three, four, or 500 people, maybe even more, you know, all around me, maybe in the same room, like, you know, I, I haven't had that exposure yet in the past two years um but you know i find myself thinking about it you know how am i going to be at vmon am i just going to slip back into the old way of things am i going to need to have my own personal little timeouts where i just find a quiet corner and just you know <laughs> huddle down and close my eyes yeah i mean so i will say for myself i found it was definitely much different when i was around people that i know um you know the company that I work for, or that Brian and I work for, of course, Brian and I knew each other beforehand. Uh, had quite a few friends that were there, you know, that are there now. Um, I had more, it's not that I was uncomfortable around the new people, but again, it's definitely one of those things. It's, it's, it's relearning how to deal with those stressors. Um, I will, I, I'm not going to lie, you know, I am, 
conscious of the health portion of it, but at the same time, completely and totally, if I'm being honest with myself, burnt out of it. So I was very much so looking forward to being back in a social situation. And I did not expect how much I'm like, well, here's how the COVID starts. Um, it didn't yeah. ultimately, you know, I, you know, full disclosure, I was all the way vaxxed, all the way boosted before I went. Um, I'm hopeful that before the next conference that I go to, I'll have booster number two. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I'm like, and, and, and mentally I know to say that, you know, maybe it's going to get towards a point where we start thinking about this in, you know, I guess the phrase that I keep hearing is endemic type phrase where, you know, you're good, you're, you might get it, but it's going to be like the flu and you're going to get sick and you're going to feel bad, but you're probably not going to die and you're most likely not going to go to the hospital, you know, all that good stuff. I can, I can mentally know those things, but it was still a stressful thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the back of my mind is always people who don't have the immune system to, to shut it down or, you know, people with little kids and whatnot. And that was, that was definitely on my mind the entire time looking around. And when I realized I was seeing people's faces, that would, that's the first thing that would pop into my mind. Um, but that being said, you know, we've, I've, I've been to three different conferences in the last two weeks, I, as I said before. And I think between those three, I saw maybe four people wearing a mask and granted, um, you know, they were, they were in areas that I don't think mask usage was ever really high to begin with, but you know, it, it always, it always makes me feel a little bit bad for that person that, you know, clearly has to defend themselves and no one else is there to help defend them. And I don't, I don't want to get us too, too deep into this conversation because like, like Jim said, I think everyone's a little exhausted of that. So let me, let me try and redirect us a little bit. Um, away from anxiety and start talking about the other part of anxiety that comes into travel. And, and that is just the travel aspect itself. Like some of us haven't flown in two years and we're getting on the plane for the first time. And we're like, I, I know I, I did end up traveling last fall in 2021. So um, it's, it's been a bit for me at this point, but I, I forgot about some of the things you have to deal with with TSA. I forgot about some of the Kabuki theater and what you have to say and what you can't say. And, um, you know, I, I won't go into to all those stories and none of them ended poorly. Um, I did make the decision not to say something about security theater in front of a TSA agent at one point. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of weirdness that's going on around that, whether it be the pilots shortages, the um, you know, the impacts of the computer supply chain, I'm sure is going to start impacting if it hasn't already the plane maintenance type stuff, um, you know, costs of flights potentially going up with with oil um, and, and just cut down on on flights that they did. So there's there's a lot of stuff that's going into changing the way flying is going on. So um, I guess I'll, I'll throw that um, to the group here. So what I'm hearing, you know, as someone who hasn't flown, been on a plane since 2019, it sounds like things still suck, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it, three, it, three flights in and I'm, I'm pretty much done with, with I, I'm at the same level of excitement for getting on a plane as I was before. It, it, yep. It's almost like that nostalgia type thing, right? Where you look fondly back and you only remember the good stuff about going somewhere yep. and you forget about all the, 
you know, junk in between from getting from A to B. And by the way, that could probably be a great future episode where we just talk about our worst travel experiences. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but, you, you know, j just thinking back to all the problems that you've faced in the past, right, with all these flights and everything. And, yeah, we've got this laundry list of things that could go wrong. It's almost sad that we might not really notice a difference in quality, right? Like we're, we're so used to flights being delayed. We're so used to, you know, getting stuck in airports because, oh, there's maintenance being done, so forth and so forth. Like to me, this just almost comes off as, ah, it, it's just another excuse for these things to happen. You know? If I have a lounge pass, cool, I'll pull up with a bit more. But at the end of the day, it's like when you're flying, especially if you have a connection, you know, like it, it's a roll of a dice. Well, so I will say, Matt, um, not only is it the shit show that it was before, there's new levels of that show that's going on now um, that are coming post-pandemic. You know, reality is, you know, these airlines still have big staff shortages. They also are having to deal with the fact that, you know, and I'm not, I won't get into the politics of all of it, but, you know, for better or for worse, these airlines probably didn't make as much money during the pandemic as they normally would have. So in doing so, they made staffing choices and made some big, you know, high level uh, choices that I did not expect. Like Brian, I actually had to go on a flight last November and got the rude awakening that, um, what, three of the four airlines that fly out of my local airport had all gone together and outsourced all their counter and gate services to a outsourcing company. And that outsourcing company, what I found ever so rudely was, you know, I, I fly out of a, a rural uh, commuter airport that typically I could show up half an hour before a flight and with TSA pre-check and have no problems. They had mandated a rule that at 45 minutes before the flight, they have a hard cutoff of bags being checked. So that was an interesting new stressor that I had fun dealing with. What I will say to leave this on a positive note is one thing that I have noticed after, you know, we've had a, what guys, a year, year and a half of all these videos of people getting on planes and just going absolutely postal. One thing that I feel like I saw was we are in the overcorrect stage of that where people have been seeing that, you know, we legitimately have empathy for these flight crews um, for, for lots of reasons and respect them as we very well should. And people were actually going above and beyond to be kind to staff. Um, I saw a lot of Starbucks cards and Dunkin' cards get slipped here and there, which is, you know, a really cool thing to do. And I don't know if you guys have ever considered doing it, but it's one of those things that I like to do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was pretty cool. That part was. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you obviously pay attention to other people on the plane way more than I do at this point. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say that, um, a lot of people are having that awareness of, of how horrible it has been to be service workers in general. Um, I would also say that, what was it? The news the other day, there was, two of the largest FAA um, fines ever put down on, on individual travelers for being disruptive came out and they were like in the tens of thousands of dollars. Like 
I, I remember a conversation and about, I don't think that person could possibly afford that, that fine type of thing. So, you know, from a, from a government perspective and, you know, whatever people's beliefs are on that, the fact is that the government's trying to tamp down on that as much as possible and, and take some of the burden off of, off of the, the flight attendants themselves. I mean, it's not even the airlines, it's, it's the individual flight attendants that, that have to bear that burden. And, and I applaud them for that and for putting some teeth in it. Yeah, it definitely sucks that, that like Jim said, that we're apparently in the overcorrection stage to get back to the point that we're all just treating them as we should as decent human beings. And that that's now everybody being overly nice rather than just normal, you know, here, here. Um, sucks that, yeah, they just catch all this flack for doing their jobs and doing what they're supposed to and trying to help everybody reach that goal of actually getting to the other place. Everybody on the plane's trying to go and be there on time. Um, yeah, and as the first one, I think I'm, I'm going to meet beat Matt by maybe a week for having to do international travel. I'm absolutely not looking forward to it at all because it is such a pain to try and find the information or keep up with changes of going in and out of one country or like where it's not required for me to go into a different country, but to come back, I've got a different, you know, thing. It's a mess. And especially for anybody that's trying to do short trips anywhere. Oh my God, dude, it is absolutely not worth the travel right now. Um, I feel for you folks that traveled often and that miss that and want to get back to it because the next I don't know, six plus months are going to be hell for you. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't enjoy air travel. I'm a big dude. I barely fit into seats anyway. People try and like avert their eyes when walking past me when they see an open seat next to me because I'm like, you don't want to try it. <laughs> um, you know, and honestly, the last time I had an international flight, you know, me and one of my coworkers were sitting up in Detroit and watching our plane get put up on blocks because they had to steal a wheel to go put on something else. But yeah, I mean, it's now gotten to the point that they're so shorthanded, the the flights are so sparse or people are, are missing connections all over the place and stuff like that. You know, it's it's the Wild West out there. Or as I heard recently, the home of the American horse pirate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that that's the thing about the international travel is it's also not even consistent, you know, using the example of, you know, going into the U.S. from Canada. If I fly, I need to have a test done within 24 hours and a negative result. Meanwhile, I can actually just drive across the border and I'm fine, right? So it, it's going to be pretty wonky, I think, for the next little bit. Hopefully, uh, I, I don't expect to see anything uniform in the next short while. Um, it'll really be a matter of, I hope we at least see a slimming down of the rules. You know, oh, you're going into the EU, any country in there, these are the rules, right? You're going into somewhere in North, North America, you know, just you know, got to be double vaxxed or have negative test. Cool guys. Well, it sounds like, uh, we've, we're, we're working through our jitters. Um, you know, there's light at the other end of the tunnel and it's, it's worthwhile, I guess is ultimately what, um, I guess the message that we're putting out there is that, you know, the travel is worthwhile. Um, it's, it's going to be rough for a little bit as everybody gets used to doing it again. Hopefully we end up in a better place in the end. Um, but we'll, We'll see. Time time will tell on that one. So hopefully this has been uh, some useful information, some some tales from the road weary road, if you will, um, that'll help people as they get back into things. But um, I think that's good for today. So, gents, it's been a pleasure once again to hang out with you. Um, I guess we'll we'll chat online again in a couple of weeks. Yep. 
That's great. You guys have a good one. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Bye.